Power Radio. If I touch my shoulder, it would touch my hair. Starts now. And I said, what the hell is that? Spirits and more radio starts now. Welcome to the second show of Spirits and More Radio, everybody. This is the show where we talk about everything paranormal. Remember, this is a live broadcast, so you can call in at 1-872-2-GHOSTS. That's 1-872-244-6787. show everyone uh, on this show we're joined by a gentleman who was a ghost tour guide and conducted seances for over a decade uh, he is definitely no stranger to the paranormal uh, it's my pleasure to welcome mr paul vudini to the show uh paul it's about 11 p.m there in sheffield uh i'd imagine the spirits are just waking up that's right. It's a, a nice dark night, mist rolling in off the moors. So the perfect uh, evening to talk about ghosts and spirits and associated subjects. Right, right. Now, uh, you did do ghost tours for over a decade. But uh, before we get into that, I did want to ask you, uh, could you tell us what was your first paranormal experience that you can recall? Oh, well, my interest in the paranormal goes way back to childhood. I was always um, obsessed by ghosts, UFOs, anything unexplained or unexpected that would take me out of my very sort of ordered and humdrum uh, existence. I lived in the suburbs, had a, a very ordinary upbringing, which were very ordinary school. And so the paranormal and the supernatural uh, was an escape route for me to think that there was greater wonder out there in the world and in the universe and there was more going on than sort of met the eye. So uh, trying to think of the very first paranormal experience I had, to, to be honest with you, the first one I had before I started working in the paranormal world and in the paranormal ghost hunting industry was when I saw a, an object in the sky, um, a flaming object that may or may not have been a comet or a meteor, but um, it was definitely an unidentified flying object that I saw flying over the sky totally uh, blew my mind. It was a really awe-inspiring moment for me and something I'll, I'll never forget. So although I went into a, into the ghost industry doing seances and ghost hunts, my very first paranormal event was actually more to do with UFOs. Right. Uh, and I can say from my experience, it wasn't uh, until I was about 25 years old that I first had something happen to me that uh, was defied logic and, and understanding. So uh, I know for some people, uh, it's a once in a lifetime event. And for others, uh, it happens more frequently. Uh, so uh, with these ghost tours, what part of England were you conducting the ghost tours in? I worked all over the UK. I, I worked at several venues in York, which I'm sure you've heard of, uh, often referred to as the most haunted city in the UK. Um, I was lucky enough to work at places such as Oxford Castle, which is a wonderful location, a place called the Galleries of Justice in Nottingham, which is an old courthouse, an old jail and an old, old workhouse. Um, also, a place called Alton Towers, which is probably the UK's biggest theme park. So if you can think of Disneyland or Universal uh, theme park, a very similar kind of setup. But what very few people realize is in the center of the theme park, there is an old stately home, the original Alton Towers, that is this ruined stately home that is probably the most gothic 
and spooky place I've ever visited to uh, in my life. So I've been very lucky to work at some of the most haunted locations, for want of a better phrase, in the UK. Wow. That sounds interesting. So that, that uh, home that you speak of at Alton Towers was uh, something that had just been preserved over the years. Uh, is there a particular story associated with that area uh, that uh, sort of draws in the paranormal crowd? There is. There's um, an, a legend to do with the uh, the original owners of Alton Towers. Uh, and by Alton Towers, I'm referring to the stately home and not the theme park that has been built up around it. And it, the the legend is that there was an old oak tree in the center of the grounds. And the owners, uh, the master of Alton Towers was a bit of a, a, a bad man. He was a mean guy and he upset um, a local witch. And she said that uh, that there would be a if if a branch fell off the old oak tree, then there would be a curse upon the family, and death would be would rain down upon the family. And so this tree was preserved. It had chains wrapped around it um, in an attempt to make sure that no limbs fell from this tree, no branches fell from the tree, in order to avert the witch's curse. And that oak tree is still there now, and it's supported by. Um, you know, wooden scaffolding really to keep it up because it's a really, really ancient tree. Wow. And so, so that's the legend that is based around Alton Towers. And that, and that does bring in the, the sort of paranormal investigators to, to, you know, to, to investigate. And as I said, it's a very, very gothic uh, place. Wow, that sounds fascinating. Uh, here in San Diego, where I'm located, there's a, a famous house uh, dubbed the most haunted house in California or America called the Whaley House. And right in front of that house is uh, a large old tree. And uh, they've, uh, through records, been able to do it, to determine that uh, that is where they would hang people uh, based on, you know, uh, breaking the law and so forth. So uh, there's quite a few people that come to visit that tree and gather around, I would imagine uh, it's the same over there. Uh, so for your uh, uh, ghost walk tours, for, you know, there may be some people who have never experienced a ghost walking tour. Uh, I've been on one in, in San Antonio. Maybe you could just sort of describe um, how that goes and, and uh, what people see and experience. Sure. Well, the, I worked for several companies in, in the UK over a number of years, and they used to run ghost hunting evenings. So the idea was that they would hire out the castle or the stately home or the haunted hotel, and they would employ a medium whose job was to hold seances later on in the evening. My job was to be the host and to do a history tour of the location. So when the guests first arrived, I would take them on a tour of the building and of the grounds, relaying to them the local legends, the stories of the building, and also some of the ghost stories associated with the building. And then later on in the evening, they would be introduced to the medium who would then take them on a walk around the location. With, but from their viewpoint, what they would be doing would be to point out what they could pick up with their mediumship, with their psychic abilities. So they would say, you know, there's a spirit of a gentleman over here. There's a spirit of a gentleman over there. I'm picking up upset and distress in this corner of this room, etc. Um, so my job really was to be the host to make sure the evening ran well. And that, as I said, at the beginning of the evening, it was my job to take people around the location, tell them some of the history of the of the venue, and also some of the ghost stories associated with that place, sort of setting them up for later on in the evening when the medium would take over, and would that's when the ghost hunting itself would actually take place. I see. Um, and do you have a favorite location that uh, you felt was most active, where maybe uh, a, a fair sum of guests would maybe feel something or see something, uh, maybe a place with a tragic story? Yeah, well, the, the perhaps the most active place I've ever worked at would be Oxford Castle. Uh, as you can imagine, that's a, a really old uh, medieval castle and older, and it has an underground crypt where bodies used to be stored um, during plague times. Um, the bodies would be stored in this crypt underground and sort of piled half a dozen high. 
Uh, this crypt is underground, so when you switch off the lights, it's completely pitch black. There is absolutely no light at all. And as I start, I, I work for these ghost hunting companies. As I started, as they started to get to know me more, I progressed from just doing the history tours and the ghost tours to actually running the seances myself. Now, I've never been a medium. I don't have any mediumistic abilities, but I was able to run seances with the idea of saying to the guests, "You tell me what you're picking up. We're going to have a seance, and I want you to, you know, open up your mind, open up your own psychic abilities, and tell me what you're experiencing." And holding seances down in the crypt of oxford castle was always uh, an amazing experience we had people fainting people vomiting people running out of the place screaming it, uh, a place where you were guaranteed that your participants would have a paranormal experience down there a, re a really fascinating place wow and was there uh was it typical to maybe feel touched or hear uh a voice or whispers uh what sort of stories surround uh oxford castle as far as maybe the employees and the people who've worked there for many years well often when the employees uh opened up for us and let us in and they knew that we were the ghost hunting company they would always have stories to tell us of uh, their own experiences uh, of being the last people in the building and having to switch out the lights and hearing voices, hearing footsteps and, and knowing there was no one else in the building and having to go to investigate just to make sure there were no guests still inside the building and not being able to find anything. You know, all, all of the employees who've been there for any amount of time always had stories they wanted to relay, relay to us. Uh, from my own experience, um, in seances in general, my experience is that when you watch a Hollywood movie that has a seance, everybody experiences the same thing. You know, everybody goes, whoa, at the same time, and everybody sees the same apparition, etc. In reality, in the real world, when you hold a seance, everybody's experience tends to be different, and the experiences tend to be very personal. Some people will feel like there's somebody whispering in their ears. Another person may feel their hair being tugged. Another person may feel that they're, they're being pushed or they have hands on their shoulders or they see a dark shadow in a corner. Everybody has their own individual experience. So rather than it being a group experience, it tends to be a number of individual experiences. Wow. Um, you know, in the paranormal community, um, there's talk of what they call attachments, uh, with the idea that uh, a ghost might actually follow you home. Uh, did you ever have any concern that what you were doing was about to maybe open some doors that couldn't be closed? It was uh, in the early days it was a concern that i had because of course we all hear the urban myths and we've all seen the movies and so that's always in the back of your head that something may follow you home but i was working at an event one evening with a a medium who was on a, a tv show in the uk called most haunted you may have heard of it and he was the guest of honor and before he started doing the mediumistic demonstration, he asked if there were any questions. And one lady put her hand up and said, uh, is there any danger of us taking anything home with us tonight? You know, is, is there any danger of a spirit attaching itself to us and going home with us at the end of the evening? And this medium, who was a slightly camp guy, said, you know, there's been spirits here in this building for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And tonight, of all nights, they're going to follow you home. Get over yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what, once he said that, it sort of allayed my own fears. And ah. then I talked to another medium, and they said, if, you're, if you are worried when you're driving home at the end of the evening, just imagine there's a brick wall um, in your mind and tell you know whatever it is you're worried might be following your home just tell it to go back bugger off back to where it came from right. and that usually does the trick right i see um yeah there's there's a um a youtube clip out there going around uh on some one of these channels i i follow and uh it's of a, a lady who calls who participated in some sort of paranormal event and uh, she calls in complaining about uh, being her boyfriend being followed home by a ghost. And she was upset about the whole thing. So uh, do you ever, you know, you've heard, I guess we'll get into that. We'll talk a little bit more about seances uh, in just a minute right after we get back from this break. You are listening 
to Spirits and More Radio. Have a paranormal story? Tell us at spooksandspirits.com. Whoa! So this is Radio Land, huh? The infinite turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! You're my fave. <laughs> Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. Hey there, listeners. This is Steve Rowan, your host. I hope you're enjoying this show. And if you are, I'd like to ask you to help us expand our audience by giving us a review in your podcast app. I would really appreciate it if you did that. And for doing so, I want to do something special for you. I want to offer you a free bonus hour of any one of our previous shows. So if you like the Alien show and you want to hear the second hour or the Disneyland show or the Ouija board show, just take a screenshot of your review and email that to me at editor at spiritsandmoreradio.com and I will email you right back with a link to the second hour of any show you'd like. Thank you for listening and please share us on your Facebook and retweet us. Now back to the show. Mr. Paul Vudini, who uh, has been in the field of paranormal for well over a decade, uh, can, conducted uh, ghost tours and seances. And uh, I'd like to get a little bit more into the seance, Paul. Um, you know, as you mentioned in the movies, people have sort of a preconceived notion of what a seance is. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the history of seances, sort of maybe where they started and where they ended and do they still go on? Well, seances certainly still do go on. Um, as anybody who goes on the, on any sort of a ghost hunting event will, um, uh, will, will agree. But the history of seances really, I, I suppose it goes back to the dawn of civilization, you know, for the cavemen sitting around the campfire, telling ghost stories and trying to scare each other. People, humans have uh, always wanted to communicate with spirits. They've always wondered what happens after death. They've always told each other stories. So I guess that, you know, the, the the whole notion of seances goes way way back seances as we probably understand them now perhaps started with the victorian spiritualists uh which i'm, I'm sure many of your audience will be familiar with uh, spiritualism really started in the mid 1800s with the fox sisters who came from uptown upstate new york uh, and they were the, the first real mediums as perhaps we would understand them in, in this day and age they communicated with spirits via um, a series of bangs and knocks, what were, what was referred to in the Victorian era as rappings, although of course these days rapping has a, a very different connotation. But in those days, it's the whole idea of where knock one for yes and two for no comes from, from the Fox sisters. They would ask questions of the spirits and the spirits would reply by making knocking sounds. And from there, the whole spiritualist movement just blossomed and bloomed um, in the USA, in the UK, and for a short while, on mainland Europe as well. So that's where seances, as we would understand them, started. There were uh, some notable differences between the UK and the US. In the US, there was a strong tradition of what's known as physical mediumship. So in a seance, things would appear. 
bunches of flowers flowers would appear um, fruit would appear on the table gifts from the spirits would appear and the spirits would wander amongst the sitters and shake hands with people who were attending the seance in the uk there has been a stronger tradition of um, trans mediumship, what's known as trans mediumship, where the medium goes into a trance and the spirits use their body as a vessel through which they can communicate with the sitters and pass on messages. Um, so there, there, there have been some subtle differences between, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on. Uh, but yes, that 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 would really the the Victorian spiritualism is really where seances, as we would understand it today, originated from. Right. And uh, it's interesting because if you think about um, this sort of thing today, uh, you know, there seems to be two camps. You have people real serious about spiritualism and uh, ghosts and spirits and mediumship. And then you have uh, other people maybe in our more modern world that uh, gravitate towards scientific type uh, ideology uh, and one thing that I found fascinating was uh, I had read that uh, President Abraham Lincoln even had seances in the White House in uh, 18 was 1859, I believe, right in that range. Uh, and that's pretty remarkable if you think about it, uh, to think that um, that that was happening so far up the social ladder as to in the presidential uh, White House. Um, is there... Uh, when you conducted these seances, um, you must have been initially sort of on edge. Uh, I can imagine when one decides to go from sort of touring around and telling tales from the past to making that leap forward into now we're going to sit down and attempt to contact dead people. Uh, did you have any apprehension initially? Well, the, fir the first seance I experienced was I was working as the ghost tour host um, and the organizer would say, you know, you, you've done your bit now, you can go home if you wish, or you can sit in and experience a seance with the medium if, if you wish. And of course, I said, yes, I'd like to stay behind and I'd like to experience the seance because up to that point, I'd only seen seances in movies, on, in TV shows, etc. And I imagine that I would be scared, that I would be apprehensive. But when the lights were turned off and we were sat in a circle around the table holding hands, I experienced this wonderful sense of peace, really, come over, came over me. And I felt perfectly safe and protected and cocooned almost. So I have never, during a seance, felt absolutely scared or threatened myself. I know that people who have, have been the guests have sometimes felt very scared and very threatened. But personally speaking, I've always felt very safe in that environment, uh, very sort of welcomed and very almost like a cocoon wrapped around me. And I found, found, find it a very soothing situation to be in, believe it, which may sound very strange, but uh, I do find it a very soothing and peaceful environment. Wow. Um, that's interesting. I, I've never done an official seance or been involved in an official seance, uh, although I will admit for the first time right here on this show, that when uh, the Powerball was at $1 billion, I did attempt to contact the dead <laughs> and uh, <laughs> see if uh, we could get any help because uh, $1 billion is, is quite a bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, what I learned is that um, when you pass on to the other side, apparently you have no psychic abilities as if you're here alive either. So uh, unfortunately, my dead relatives were unable to produce the winning numbers, but uh, one thing interesting, and call it coincidence, but uh, I did do that routine or uh, process, let's call it, uh, three times. And all three times I got, uh, I think, four out of the six numbers, which was interesting because it continued to let me get an additional ticket. <laughs> so, uh, but that yeah. is the only time uh, uh, that I've attempted to contact the dead and, and with good cause, too. Uh, but uh, uh, what sort of what sort of reactions do you get in these seances from uh, people who come for an evening of entertainment and creepiness and fun and uh, what happens in there? 
Well, it very much depends on the on the guests themselves. What, one thing I always used to say to the guests at the beginning of the evening is that, is the more energy and the more enthusiasm you bring into the evening, the more you want things to happen, the more likely you are to have um, a paranormal experience. If you go into the um, evening sort of downbeat and looking at your watch and wondering when all this is going to be over, then then people wouldn't have a paranormal experience. Um, but the typical sort of reactions that people had would be they would feel um, people whispering in their ears, they would feel their hair being pulled, they would feel themselves being pushed, um, some people would feel ill, they would feel nauseous. It was very common for women to feel um, the spirits of children holding their hands, uh, brushing past their legs. And of course, we would, we would have the shadows in the corner. We would hear footsteps walking around the table. Uh, so I, I have never seen an apparition. I've never seen a spirit form in front of a table, in the middle of the table or in the room. But the, so the experiences tend to be a lot more subtle than you would see perhaps in the movies uh, and a lot more personal. But they are very profound experiences. Even just feeling somebody whispering in your ear is a very profound experience for somebody to have. And it was not, would not be unusual for people to break down in tears after having these, these small little individual experiences. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, what the listeners need to remember, if, if you've never experienced a paranormal event, uh, they aren't really these sort of grand experiences like in the movies. Um, they are uh, as simple as someone whispering in your ear, which, uh, as you said, just that alone uh, is really something uh, uh, profound for the person who's experiencing it because uh, to hear something whisper, uh, my wife actually had, and my daughter, both of them, uh, have heard somebody say, hey, directly into their ear here at the house we live in. And uh, she actually, my wife actually thought it was myself. And she turned around the other way and sort of saw what she thought was me move towards the hallway. And uh, then I came in from the other direction and she realized it wasn't me. But uh, when people have these experiences sort of in a same location and unprovoked, you know, that is, uh, I think, th some of the ones that uh, you never forget, you know, your first time that you have this unprovoked experience where it's not on top of mind. You're not uh, out hunting for it. You're not looking for it. Uh, it's just this event happens to you. And you realize that uh, there's no other explanation uh, for these sort of things to happen. So I think that's interesting. Um, tell me about some of the old seance things that would go, uh, instruments being played, tambourines and things like that. Was that a part of uh, the seances that you were involved with? No, I mean, the, the, the whole thing with the tambourines being thrown across the room and flowers materializing on, on in the middle of tables was very much part of the Victorian spiritualism. And as I'm sure all of your listeners will be aware, and you're, I'm sure you're very much aware, there was an awful lot of fraud that went on um, with the Victorian spiritualist movement. The the seances that I ran were completely genuine, nothing, you know, no trickery, nothing set up. We would just simply sit in a circle holding hands and would invite spirits to interact with us or communicate with us in any way that they felt able to. So we didn't have, you know, the, 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 the great um, experiences of of tambourines flying across the room or doors banging or spirits walking around the table shaking hands with the sitters um it was it was just a, a genuine attempt to communicate with the spirits and we never expected to get the huge you know the group experience when something you know amazing happens i always like to tell this guest at the beginning of the evening to manage your expectations, forget what you know in, about what you've read about in books, forget what you've seen in movies. This will be a very almost low key experience, but the, the fact that it's a low key experience almost makes it more profound than if there was a tambourine flying across the room. Um, if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. Um, what is this idea? Uh, and you might know more about this, uh, than I do. Uh, there's talk of, you hear of mirrors being sort of a portal to the other side. 
um, it, our mirrors within a seance room and, and I hear the term black mirror. Uh, do you know anything about that? I've used ordinary mirrors um, in the seance room. Um, we used to have two types of seance. We have uh, the seance in a location where the guests would sit round a table together and hold hands. But of course, it, when you're talking about old stately homes and castles, not everywhere has a, uh, a, a large table and a nicely set out where your guests can sit around and hold hands. So we would have what we used to call vigils, which is almost like a, a standing up seance, exactly the same. You would, st would stand in a circle, hold hands and run it in the same way as a, a seance, but you just weren't sat down, you were standing up. And in that kind of location, in that kind of environment, you can start to introduce other elements such as pendulums. You can hand pendulums out. Used to, we used to do some uh, what we call glass moving, which is like the Ouija board, but set out on a table. And also we used to use mirrors. And I would ask some guests to go into a corner of the room, turn their back to us, but hold the mirror up and see us in the mirror and explain what they can see. And very often, they would see shadows moving amongst us. They would see figures moving amongst us. And then when they turned back around, those shadows and those figures would be gone. And it was only when they were looking at us via the mirror that they would pick up on, on this spirit activity. Wow. That is really something. Um, were there ever any times when things almost sort of seemed like they were spiraling uh, out of control where maybe you felt like, the events happening were maybe harmful emotionally or getting dangerous. Someone potentially have a heart attack or faint, as you say, mm -hmm. uh, did that happen frequently? And, and how did you handle that? It didn't, it didn't happen frequently. Uh, but one occasion does spring to mind when I was working at Oxford castle, as I've already explained, they have the underground crypt where there's no light at all. And I do remember one event there where People were fainting left, right, and center. People were having to run out to be sick. Um, people were in tears. And there was a time when I thought, dear me, this is getting out of hand. I can't, I can't control all this. And ultimately, what we had to do was turn the lights on and just gather our thoughts, have a breather, have a coffee break, go outside, get some fresh air, uh, discuss what we'd experienced before we started doing the seance again. Um, I literally had two or three people fainting at the same time. Um, I remember a woman running out because she needed to vomit. There were people crying. Um, and that was the only time when I started to feel I was losing a bit of control over events. Oh. And at that time, I, I, I just said time out and, you know, put the lights on and said, look, let's get out of here. Let's just go and get a coffee and talk about what we've been experiencing. Right. That's uh, that's unbelievable. We're going to take a little break. We are talking with Paul Vudini, uh, seance host and ghost tour guide for over a decade. Remember, you can call into the show at one eight seven two ghosts if you have any questions for Paul. Uh, and if you call while you're listening to a replay of the show, uh, you can leave a voicemail with your terrifying tale. Hey, if you're like me, when you first went to get a fog machine, you had no idea which one to get. I mean, you can get one for 30 bucks all the way up to a couple hundred bucks. Well, listen, HalloweenPartyDeals.com takes the guesswork out of which fog machine is going to be best for you. Go on there, check out what they have to say about them. They'll help you get exactly what you need. All right, that's HalloweenPartyDeals.com. HalloweenPartyDeals.com. And now it's time for Haunted Places. The Rentlaw Plaza Hotel, located near the University of Wisconsin, opened in 1922. Numerous guest reports of paranormal activity have persisted over the years, leading to a reputation of being haunted. It's said that hotel staff have even warned some guests of haunted rooms on the seventh floor and of a ghost named Walter, believed to be Walter Schroeder, owner of the hotel until he died in 1967. It's not uncommon for guests to hear footsteps in rooms and hallways 
when they are all alone. More terrifying are multiple accounts from guests waking up to something tapping or touching them, and worse, being held down. One man said, I woke up to someone whispering in my ear and then felt a hand on my chest that held me down for what felt like an eternity. Another guest saw her bathroom light turn on and off several times after feeling something touch her back and shoulder. The rent law is an old hotel and soon will undergo major renovation. The question is, will its ghost stay or go? Many have no doubt its spirits will continue to haunt guests and employees alike. Well, Paul, the rent law, I've never been there myself, but uh, I did travel to uh, Atlanta. And while I was in Atlanta, I stayed, I checked into a boutique hotel. And this is one of these really old buildings that's been converted into an upscale sort of hip hotel uh, where they play, you know, modern music and it has a party vibe and it's completely renovated into something really spectacular. And uh, it's interesting because in this sort of fun, uh, exciting, modern environment, uh, we walked with our bags into the elevator and uh, we started to go up the floors and uh, this sort of creepy feeling just came across me at the time. And I remember the doors opening and looking down the halls and they were very dark uh, hallways, which was unusual, but I suppose part of their idea for a intimate mood type of uh, environment. But uh, uh, what was different about that hotel is that it sort of had this evil vibe to it, which is significantly different than a haunted, I feel like I could see a ghost in this old cabin vibe, which I've experienced as well. So uh, it was interesting because uh, my travel partner at the time and now my wife uh, also made a comment about feeling uneasy in this hotel and, and, and also sort of um, feeling the evil vibe, which I think is interesting that there's this idea of sort of evil entities versus ghosts and spirits. Uh, have you felt anything on your travels around the world in hotels? The, um, not, not in a hotel, but I did run um, a weekend event in a village near where I live called Castleton, which is in uh, Derbyshire in England. And Castleton is a, a, a small village, um, perhaps a couple of thousand people live there, but it still very much has a very sort of oldie worldy vibe to it. All of the all of the all of the houses are sort of stone built cottages um and the roads are still uh, sort of paved with stones and the people who live there still leave little piles of money on their doorstep and the idea with that is to buy the favor of the fairies uh, there's still a, a, a deep-seated belief in the fairies and fairy folk and fair folk uh, in this very rural area so they still leave piles of coins on their doorstep to buy the favor of fairies and uh the the backs of the houses look out onto these dark dark moors and all of the windows have crucifixes at them facing out onto the moors so it's still a very uh a place full of superstitions and tradition and people sort of cling to the old ways and we were running an event over over two nights uh in a, an old cottage that was actually a ho uh, youth hostel it, it sort of its day job as it were was was as a, a youth hostel uh and i was working there on the friday night and the saturday night um on the friday night at about three o'clock in the morning the event finished and all of the guests left and the event organizer said to me look it's a youth hostel there's loads of beds rather than having to drive home at three o'clock in the morning why don't you just stay stay over in one of the bedrooms you know choose your own bedroom and then you know in the morning you can get up you can use the kitchen etc so i thought this was a great idea said goodbye to all the guests i went and found a room um closed the door got into bed um i knew there was nobody else in the, in the in the venue and i suddenly heard 
children laughing and giggling out in the corridor and heard footsteps running up and down the corridor. And I knew for a fact, A, there was nobody in the building and B, there were certainly no children uh, in the building. Uh, and so I was quite terrified. I was sat in bed with the sheets up against my, up against my chin, not daring to move. And then suddenly there was a knock on the door, on the bedroom door that I'd closed. And I laid in that bed, not daring to move. And it was probably an hour or two later when I started to nod off to sleep, fell asleep, woke up with a start. It, it was it was the morning, the sun was out, it was a beautiful morning. I opened up the doorway, the corridor was empty. And to this day, I still don't know whether that was a paranormal experience or whether I'd fallen asleep and dreamt it. Right, right. I think that... Um it's interesting because uh, some people, and uh, I had a very profound experience uh, in 2012, uh, which at some point I will reveal on this show, uh, not this show, but uh, I found that my mind was uh, wanting to justify what I had experienced and very desperately hunting for explanation. And uh, I think that's just a matter of maybe human nature that uh, we're almost programmed to believe that this can't be true. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Uh, and so therefore we sort of hide under the sheets <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hope that it's not. But uh, you know, what's interesting is there are so many reports, numerous people. I find that uh, if you open up to someone and you start to tell your stories and experiences that uh, oftentimes people feel comfortable enough to share with you something that's happened to them uh, that they found uh, profound and that they may uh, naturally not tell somebody just for fear of uh, being uh, thought of as maybe a lunatic or a little bit off. So um, the more I sort of meet people and start to talk about the paranormal, I find that uh, there are a lot of stories out there. Uh, do you have a favorite story of all time that really stands out in your mind uh, with regard to ghosts and the paranormal? The uh, I, I just recall that uh, at the beginning of the show you said, can you recount your first paranormal experience? And I told the story of the uh, the UFO that, that I saw. That that was one of the first, but actually I, I, I forgot to mention that when I was about 14 or 15, and this uh, for a long time was my standard ghost story, my first experience with an actual ghost, I was with a friend of mine, as I said, I was about 14 or 15 years old, and we were walking up the driveway of a large house near where I live. I live out in the suburbs and some of the houses are quite big and they have a long driveway with a big lawn um, on at the front surrounded by trees and we were walking up this this driveway um, I can't remember exactly why we were we were doing that I don't know if we were trick-or-treating or something like that but we were walking up the driveway to this house and on our left was a large lawn and suddenly in the middle of the lawn we saw this this ball of light floating about three feet off the ground about the size of a tennis ball perhaps and me and my friend both stopped we tapped each other and pointed to it and we were staring at it trying to figure out what it was and suddenly this ball of light spun around and started shooting light all around the garden uh, and the garden was surrounded by on all sides by trees and so this light was shooting around the garden and then slowly it came together and made the image of a bride floating again about three feet off the off the floor and it was an absolutely perfect rendition of a bride you could see the folds of her dress you could see her veil but you could still see through her she was translucent you could see the trees on the other side of the garden through her and i remember being absolutely scared stiff people talk about being scared stiff frozen solid unable to move and believe you me i was my mind was saying run run but my body had just locked was just frozen and after about five ten seconds this bride again turned into these lights swirling around the garden and then just disappeared and me and my friend turned around and just ran and ran and ran and we must have ran for 10 minutes until we stopped through pure exhaustion and then walked home and the, the the interesting thing is that neither of us talked about it after that. We just said goodnight to each other and went to our respective homes. And we never <laughs> mentioned what we'd seen to each other. 
Right, I can imagine. Boy, that's that's uh, an amazing sight. I can't imagine seeing that with my own eyes. Um, I did see something that I thought was very bizarre, and uh, this sort of goes back to ghost tours. Uh, oftentimes, uh, well, it sounds like uh, there in England, there's the tours are really centered around one location. Uh, here in the United States, a lot of the ghost tours are sort of walking tours through an urban city uh, where the tour guide will sort of point here and point there and, and tell some stories about specific hotels or locations. Uh, but one place that ghost tours don't seem to happen frequently, at least that I'm aware of, is uh, in forests. And I once lived near it. It wasn't truly a forest. It was more of a canyon here. We don't have large forests in Southern California. But uh, I lived near uh, an area known as Elfin Forest. And it uh, has several um, rumored hauntings, a uh, woman on a white horse and so forth. And there actually is a spiritualist camp uh, located in this particular area. And it's a very rural road, um, very dark, very sparse, not too many homes, uh, although that's changing. Uh, but at the time, I, my home was on the other side of this, and, and I had to drive that road daily. Uh, and I hadn't ever really seen anything unusual until one particular night. Uh, it was What's important is that uh, the children were in school at this time, so it wasn't the summer. Uh, and I had worked really late on a particular job I was on, uh, coming home, I believe it was about one in the morning. And as I drove on this dark rural road, uh, halfway through up ahead, uh, I noticed people. And these people were kids, I would say between seven and 13 years old, uh, and probably about 10 to 15 of them. And as I drove up, I thought it was very strange that they were out there on a school night on a Wednesday so late, uh, and they didn't have any flashlights on. So I could, I was only seeing them because of my car's headlights as I was approaching. And of course, I was a little bit uh, nervous in the fact that what are they doing there? Uh, and I hope they don't step out in front of my car because there's a bunch of them. Uh, and as I approached them, they were all lined up in a row on the side of the road, looking towards me as I passed. And, uh, I vividly recall looking in my rear view mirror and seeing the bunch of them lit up in red from my taillights, still looking at me drive away. And, uh, the one thing I noticed was there were no other vehicles around, so, or adults, so it wasn't as if it was some sort of astronomy tour or something like that. So uh, that's the only strange thing I've experienced out there. But uh, has have you done anything? Are there any tales from uh, forests in your area or uh, legends centered around things out in the forest? Yeah, near where I live, actually, there's uh, quite a. It's more of a woods than a forest. It's not. Uh, it's not perhaps not as as large and as grand as a forest, but it's certainly quite a dense woods. And um, it's it, during the, the World War One. It, uh, there's an area within the within the woods that was used as a training camp for soldiers that were going off to fight in France during World War One, and um, this was a Sheffield battalion. And when they went over to France, they, the, their first battle that they were involved with was a Battle of the Somme. And within 24 hours of arriving in France, three quarters of these young men were, were dead. They were wiped out. And so the area where these guys trained um, is regarded locally as a very haunted area. People see soldiers um, walking um, through through the trees. Their spirit lights have been seen, you know, flickering lights dashing between the trees. And um, it's a very, very spooky place that you certainly wouldn't want to go venture into, into after dark. Right. And I think that um, would be an excellent place for a ghost tour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, as opposed to the urban area, which is really loud. Uh, you know, it's interesting because um, you think about places where there's 
maybe tragedy that happens uh, and unexpected death where the idea is that these spirits or ghosts maybe don't know that they're dead and they're, they're still here uh, roaming around. But you never hear about uh, people talking about modern day hospitals where death happens frequently. Um, maybe old hospitals and institutions, but uh, you don't hear about let's go ghost hunting through the halls of the local medical offices. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you you faded out for for a few seconds. Okay. Um, so, is there um, in all the time that you've done this? It sounds like you're really not afraid of the spirit world or anything of that sort. Um, do you have any recommendations for people maybe who want to explore further uh, what they can sort of try? You mentioned these uh, pendulums and Ouija boards and so forth. As a matter of fact, there's a hotel I just saw that uh, has the world record for the largest Ouija, Ouija board. Uh, it's on the top of a hotel that's supposedly very haunted on the east coast of the United States. Um, that's on our website. You can go ahead to spiritsandmoreradio.com and uh, click on to the video to have a look at that. But uh, is there any sort of warnings to people or do you feel like Ouija boards and pendulums are a, a safe thing to explore with? Um, I would certainly say that pendulums are reasonably safe. Um, you can use a pendulum to ask very basic yes and no questions of, of spirits. The idea is that you hold a pendulum in your hand and ask the spirits to um, let you know that they're there by making the pendulum move. And then you can ask very rudimentary yes and no questions and by the response of the pendulum moving, get an answer. When it comes to Ouija boards, that's um, a very contentious subject, um, uh, a very multi-layered subject to get into. Um, that my personal feeling is that Ouija boards have been given a bad press, really, thanks to Hollywood and urban myths and uh, and stories that people tell each other about things that have supposedly happened to a friend of a friend who've used a Ouija board. Um, but I would say that the danger that lies with Ouija boards is that sense of expectation that people have that they... Uh, they, they've heard the urban myths, they've seen the movies, they know that bad things happen or they think they know that bad things happen after you've used a Ouija board. And so they almost invite it in, they almost expect that dark energy to come in and they expect bad things to happen. So I would say Ouija boards are in and of themselves are not a dangerous object, they're not a dark object, but what can bring in that dark energy is when people expect bad things to happen and they almost invite that dark energy in so i would certainly advise people away from using ouija boards unless they know that they're going into it with a completely open mind and it might it might sign a little bit twee and a little bit um i don't know but as long as they're going in into it with a with a good heart and with with, with love and respect rather than doing it as a dare or something that, that they'll do after a few bottles of wine and uh, sort of egg each other on to do that's that's the wrong way to approach it so i would say Pendulums are fine to experiment with, uh, taking a first step into the world of spirit communication, but Ouija boards need to be handled a little bit more delicately and not to be taken lightly. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we've all heard uh, tales of sinister things with Ouija boards. We'll be right back after this. Spirits and more radio. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Destroys the night, night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side, break on through to the other side, break on through to the other side, yeah. We're back. Don't be afraid. We are back with uh, Mr. Paul Vudini, who is uh, approximately 5,000 miles away from me in Southern California. Uh, Paul, uh, so you've uh, sort of transitioned recently to uh, writing, I understand. That's right. I've I've always been in love with uh, writing and with books. One of my first sort of introductions almost to the world of the paranormal and the supernatural is via reading the old Victorian 
novels such as Frankenstein, Dracula, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, etc. And also a lot of American comics, Marvel, DC comics and, you know, um, uh, tales from the crypt etc uh, so i've always been fa well been in love with writing and with books and so recently i've been writing books about uh, an alternative victorian london populated by vampires and all sorts of uh, demons and monsters which is uh, a lot of fun to write and, and hopefully a lot of fun to read as well wow so um you've already written how many books have you written I've got I've got one book um, available on Amazon called Dolly Biters. Uh, Dolly Biters is supposed to be in my alternative London of, of, of the Victorian era. It's the name that the uh, Londoners used to call female vampires. Um, uh, so that's already available on Amazon. I'm running a, a Kickstarter campaign at the moment to fund my next book, which has a title of A London Gothic. Uh, so once again, it's set in Victorian London and involves vampires and witches and demons and all, all of the good stuff. And uh, so if anybody was interested in that, if they went to Kickstarter and just did a search either for my, ne my name or London Gothic, then I'm sure they would find uh, the appropriate page. Right. And now do those two books tie together? Are they sort of separate? They're, they're standalone, but they're set in a very similar universe, a very similar alternative um, Victorian London. Uh, the idea being that vampires were real uh, in, that, in, in that era and that they were eventually destroyed by the human population and sort of written out of the history books and almost forgotten about. But uh, the idea is that in Victorian London and in the Victorian era in general, vampires were, were, were a thing. <laughs> Uh, and I know, you know, it's interesting and we're, we're really short on time, but, uh, I understand that, uh, the whole vampire folklore, uh, at least, oh, this was probably a decade or two ago. Now, uh, groups of people would sort of congregate and I know it happened in London and New York and so forth, San Francisco, uh, groups of people would get together and sort of play these urban vampire games and have clans of vampires and move about the city at night and uh, do that sort of thing. Did you ever hear about that? Uh, yes, there, there are there's still a lot of uh, role-playing groups out there that do that. You know, they have their, their vampire character, their vampire identity, and they sort of operate in clans and in hierarchies, and they sort of have this whole role-playing thing going on. Uh, and, of course, in London in the 1970s, there was the Highgate Cemetery uh, vampire scandal when it was claimed that there was a vampire in Highgate Cemetery and so the place was besieged with vampire hunters and paranormal investigators to such a degree now that Highgate Cemetery won't allow any kind of paranormal groups or ghost hunts to take place within their grounds. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, you know, I often wonder, um, you know, people who sort of uh, move into that world of role-playing vampires uh, would be the perfect trap for a real vampire to sort of uh, find their victims, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they could hide in plain sight. Right. Uh, just uh, stand over here and we're going to pretend like we're going to bite your neck. And uh, this isn't really your blood, but it is, you know. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, it was a pleasure. Uh, it was very interesting. I think people are going to love uh, listening to this radio show. And uh, there's so much more to talk about. Uh, maybe we'll do it again. Uh, again, visit Paul's, uh, look for Paul Vudini on Facebook. Uh, that's where you do a lot of your uh, broadcasting of what you're, what you're up to and what's happening. Uh, the book sounds fascinating. I'd love to uh, get a copy and read that. Uh, thank you for listening to Spirits and More Radio. Uh, we will be back for another edition in a few weeks. And uh, stick around. Uh, well, I guess uh, go to the website, Spirits and More Radio, where you can sort of sign up to the podcast. You can call in. Again, at one eight seven two two ghosts and uh, leave your, your paranormal experiences with us and we'll get you on the air. Uh, thank you, Paul. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Spirits and More Radio was a 3K Media production.
Yeah, I'm the satellite And you're the sky 